God is so, so good to us. Amen? I pray that, as, that we recall that all the time, but uh, especially through our worship today and as we head into his word today. Speaking of heading into his word, why don't you grab your Bible and turn to the book of Ezra. Yes, I said Ezra chapter 7. Using that pew Bible in front of you, it's on page 542, Ezra chapter 7. In just a minute, we will stand and read together a small portion of uh, chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, you can go to verse 6. If you want to put your finger there, we will uh, go there in just a minute together. You know, most people do not like getting caught in the rain. They will do almost anything to keep from getting wet. They'll watch the forecasts. They'll carry a raincoat. They'll carry multiples of umbrellas. They'll even change their plans or they will wait. And those are just a few ways that people seek to be out of the rain, to not be caught in the rain. And, and I know that there were people that I call friends that were caught in the rain this week. It, it happens every now and then. You don't think, or maybe you do. You know, when we get caught in the rain, rarely is it because we're not given warnings or forecasts that rain is there. This week, Angela and I spent a few days in a cabin in the Smoky Mountains. And one day, we were sitting on the porch. And you could see the rain sort of coming up the mountain and through the valley, and it was coming pretty strong. And it drove one of us inside. While it was raining pretty hard, this car came uh, down the hill while I was out on the porch still. There were cabins up behind us, and there was a bus down in the parking lot where these children had come to camp. Now, just to say that Angela and I went to have a few quiet days in the mountains and that there was a bus full of kids that came to camp tells you that that didn't fit together too well. But that bus was down there because it couldn't make it up the hill. But while it was pouring down rain, a truck comes down the hill. I'm watching from the porch, and I see these two men get out, and it is raining something fierce. And they get out because in order to keep that bus cooled down, they had left all the bus windows. This was a converted school bus. So they had to get on the bus out in the rain, get into the bus, then get back into the rain, get back in their truck, and then drive up the hill. They're probably still wet today, but they determined that it was better to be out in the rain and not let the bus get soaked than it was to let the bus get soaked and for them to stay dry. You know, sometimes you just have to deal with the rain in order to not face something worse. Sometimes you just have to deal with the rain. So as, with that as a backdrop, stand, and we're going to read from Ezra chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10 of Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7 verse 6 begins, This Ezra came up from Babylon, and he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. The king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, month 
which was in the seventh year of the king. On the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. Thank you, church. You may be seated. Keep your scripture open. We are going to be wandering our way through the remainder of the book of Ezra. If I'm going to assign your post-service homework, it would be to, in light of this service, go home and read Ezra chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. Now, I don't know how many of you are going to do that, but I will tell you that if you will spend time in those chapters, God will teach you about him. The only reason I know that is that every day this week, while I was gone, I read the book of Ezra. One, two, three, four, five, six, and also seven, eight, nine, and ten. I love, I, I mentioned to you that I had not preached through the book of Ezra prior to three weeks ago. This is our fourth and final sermon through the book of Ezra, but I tell you what, I love it. And I promise you that if you'll spend time in God's Word, you will learn more about God, and you will love it, and you will grow to love Him more. But Ezra chapter 7, verse 6, starts with these two words, this Ezra. you notice, I did not um, read verses 1 through 5. Well, the verses 1 through 5 of Ezra chapter 7, they tell us of the pedigree of Ezra. Ezra is able to trace his line all the way back to Aaron. Now, that's a pretty good pedigree. And it's this Ezra, the one that verses 1 through 5 validates as the man that God has called. But these verses go on in verses 6 and forward telling us more about this Ezra. This Ezra was a skilled scribe of the law. That means that he made the law personal to him. He spent time in it. It was his job, it was his vocation, and it was his passion. This Ezra, this scripture also says, handled the law that was given by the Lord. You know, it's not just that when we spend time reading God's word that we're reading words that Ezra wrote down or that Matthew or Mark or Luke or Paul or John wrote down. We are reading, as Scripture reminds us right now, not just the words that Ezra the scribe wrote down, but we are reading the words of God given to Ezra the scribe to be written down so that we could then benefit from those words. And so this Ezra, the one who's handling the law given by the Lord. We also understand more about this Ezra, this particular Ezra, it says that he received all that he requested. Now, we don't know what all he requested. Now, we'll read a little bit more, and we can see many of the things that he did request. But obviously, God had, because of Ezra seeking the Lord, being in the Word of God, had felt the movement of God in his life in order to go before the king of Persia and make requests. And it says that he received all that he requested. Now, I don't know exactly what all he requested, but if he got all that he requested, 
That means, I believe, he asked for everything God told him to ask for. You're going, okay, that makes sense. You see, when we ask for things that God does not want for us, we're not going to get them. But when we ask for things in the will of God for our lives, it's an absolute certainty that you're going to get it. And so many times our prayer lives struggle because we ask, as Scripture says, and we ask amiss. We're asking for things that we may want, but not what God wants. And and here we can learn because Ezra got everything that he requested. That tells us that Ezra was in touch with God enough to ask for only the things that God wanted to give him. Now, we have a prayer list, and you have needs in your life, and I have needs in my life that we are praying for. Church, we are called to pray. We are called to seek God. But in the end, what we should desire more than anything is what God wants for us. Amen? And so it's this Ezra who received all that he requested. It's this Ezra who requested all that God told him, and it's this Ezra that we see in verse 6 that says, according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. This Ezra. We learned a lot about this Ezra. Do you know that God has a purpose for this Jeff? Now, there are other Jeffs in this room. There's Jeff 1. There's Jeff 2. There's Jeff 3. Okay? Now, there's probably more, but we are on committee together, and we serve together, and we see people out together and all that stuff. And so we've always aligned ourselves as Jeff 1, Jeff 2, and Jeff 3. Now, I didn't take one. They gave me one. They forced one upon me. But do you know that God has a specific purpose for Jeff 1? Church, do you believe that God has a specific purpose for me? Seven people believe God's got a specific purpose for me. Okay, so let's get off of me for a second. Do you all believe that God has a specific purpose for Jeff number two right here? More people believe God's got a plan for Jeff two than Jeff one. So we're getting better. Jeff two, you're getting ready to get it right here. Because do you believe that God has a specific purpose for Jeff Three, right here. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Yes. So, you're now Jeff number one. Okay, but let me just remind you something. God has a specific purpose for this Ezra. And it causes my heart to almost over, be overwhelmed to think that the God of all creation, all love, all everything, knows me and loves me anyway. And not only loves me anyway, he has called me anyway because he has a specific purpose for this Jeff. And if God has a specific purpose for this Jeff, He has a specific purpose for you. And I'll tell you this, I'm just a voice of one, but I believe that God has a specific purpose for you. 
and I pray for you, and I will walk with you, and I will stand with you so that you realize that specific purpose. But we go on to this, Ezra went to Babylon. He finally takes his turn to go to Babylon. In verse 7, chapter 8 gives us a list of names that went with him, but let me give you just the abridged version. He took 1,500, slightly over 1,500 more men and their families. Historians estimate that probably 5,000 people went on this trip. Now, we know that when we talked about this in the beginning of Ezra, about 50,000 people were allowed by Cyrus to go back home to start rebuilding the temple. The temple has been rebuilt. We finished that last week. Now, there's a second opportunity. It says in verse 7 that these, this second opportunity were for these 5,000 people, with this Ezra being one of them, happened in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Now, I probably don't have to remind you and tell you this because last week, remember I told you all about the king after king after king after king. You know, we, we, we wrote all that down. You guys know the Persian history of kings because we talked about that last week. But just as a refresher, in case somebody is here that wasn't here last week, recall that the temple was completed in chapter 6, verse 15, in the sixth year of King Darius. That would be 516 B.C. I also mentioned the series of kings. King Artaxerxes, the seventh year of King Artaxerxes would be 458 B.C. Well, they count coming towards zero in the B.C. world. So the short version of this is that this Ezra went to Jerusalem with these 5,000 people 58 years approximately after the original group had gone after the completion of the temple. Verse 9 tells us that this trip took four months to go. First day of the first month to the first day of the fifth month, that's four full months. 900 miles, I did some research to see, and this Ezra is a scribe. He's not, as Angel and I, we were, we were in the Smoky Mountains. Do you know why there aren't a lot of cabins in the Smoky Mountains? Because most of the people that go to the Smoky Mountains, they're going to stay in a tent or a camper, or an RV. There's a lot of people that enjoy going out and spending time with this, but here's my thing as I was reading about Ezra. Ezra the scribe called to make a four-month journey to go to Jerusalem was probably out of his comfort zone. That was probably not his strong suit. That was probably not his passion to get there, but in order for him to fulfill the call of God on his life, he had to walk through some things that maybe weren't easy. Again, I can tell you that God has a specific purpose for this Jeff and for you. And sometimes in order to get to it, we have to be willing to faithfully step outside what we like, what we want, what we would normally do in order to take the journey for God to get us where he wants us to go so that God can then do what he's always wanted us to do through our lives. Amen? So 58 years later, in verse 9, it says again, all of this happened. He got there according to the good hand of his God upon him. Can I tell you that if God calls you to the Dominican, he's got a purpose for you. And I can't wait, one, to pray for you every day while you're gone, but to hear about it 
when you get back. So just be thinking about how you're gonna share it with us when you get back. Because see, God doesn't call us places without wanting to use us in those places and then be able to encourage the people like we are today to find out what happened in Ezra's life. Verse 10, this Ezra, can you see that I got a two-word phrase stuck in my head all week while I was in them? This Ezra prepared his heart. Look at verse 10, to seek the law of God, to do the law of God. The church, can I tell you that to seek the law of God and to do the law of God are two totally separate things. James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And Ezra had set his time, the word says, prepared his heart to seek the law of God, to do the law of God. And then the third thing that scripture teaches us in verse 10 is to teach others the law of God. This week, church, have you been like this Ezra? Have you spent time daily in God's word? Have you done all of the things that God's word told you to do? And did you seek to teach anyone else about our faithful, loving, saving God this week? You see, I believe that the reason that Ezra was successful is because he submitted himself to the word of God, to the will of God, to the call of God on his life. And he sought the law, he did the law, and he was committed to teaching others of the law. And I believe this is the key to having the hand of the Lord on your life for Ezra. And I believe it's equally how you have the hand of God on your life as well. Seek the Lord, do his word, tell others. That's Old Testament gospel right there. Chapter 8, I said, details the who made the trip and the accounting of all that they brought with them. Ezra, the chronicler, many times, he's very detailed. And so when you read chapter 8, not only do you know who went, you know what they took with them. And when they got there, all the accounting of all of the gold and all of the silver and all of the treasury and all of that stuff was there. And I want to encourage you to read that. But in Ezra chapter 9, I hope you're following along with me. Look at Ezra chapter 9. Now, Ezra is there, all the accounting is done, all the people are there, and now in Ezra chapter 9, we start to understand there's a problem. It says in Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, it says, when these things were done, all of the things we just talked about in chapter 7 and 8, the leaders came to me saying, the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with respect to the abominations of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites and the Ammonites and the Moabites and the Egyptians and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons, so that the holy seed is mixed with the peoples of those lands. Indeed, the hand of the leaders and the rulers has been foremost in this trespass. A portion of the people we find out, as being told by others within the people, have broken the command of God. 
They have not obeyed God's command in their lives, have not followed God's instructions all the way back from the law of Moses. You know, and I wish I could say that it's because they hadn't taken the time to read it. You know, very seldom in my life when I sin, when I disobey God, very seldom in my life do can I say it's because I didn't know. You know, it'd be real easy to go, I didn't know. I believe they knew. I believe most of the time when we sin and disobey God, we know exactly what we're doing, exactly when we're doing it, because that's what the Spirit of God is there to keep us from doing. So he hears about these people, and the Scripture, that, and it teaches right here, and the leaders and the rulers had been leading the way. Isn't that disappointing? To find out that the people have failed, that there's sin in the camp, that's disappointing. But to find out that some of those that are in the sin are also in leadership. That's bad. God always has a reason or a purpose when he calls us to do something. And God called Ezra 58 years after the temple was complete to take he and 5,000 people back to Jerusalem for a reason. And Ezra is beginning to understand that reason. Now, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But just think about this for a second. They had been given freedom, resources, safety, success, their religious practices were restored. The temple had been rebuilt. God had challenged them to be faithful. And for 58 years, all of God, all these good things have happened, but the people were still unfaithful. Dealing with the same personal commitment issues that they've been dealing with serving God for generations. Do you know if you are struggling in your relationship with the Lord, or if you are struggling with sin or commitment or letting go of something or taking up something, if you're struggling with that, this word is for you. Because we are going to be faced in the next few minutes with some really hard work that we are going to meet, have to do should we find ourselves that way. You know, some could say that that's where the SBC has found itself. That all of a sudden, some bad things have happened within the SBC over a period of time, and the leaders had a hand in it. Now, church, we will address this more. I'm not staying out of this. I'm letting it settle down. We're meeting with our deacons soon so that one day we will come back together. One day soon, we're going to come back together. And as a group of people together that call First Baptist Church home, we're going to make sure that we walk through, talk through, and understand what has happened and what we're doing to make sure that it never happens here. Amen. Okay? So that'll come. So we're not not talking about it. It's, that time is coming. I believe sometimes there's wisdom in letting it wait for just a little bit while we sort things out. But do you know it's possible to be a leader and be unfaithful? 
and these leaders were unfaithfully out front of the people. Now, the specific issue we are told here is the intermarriage with a people, with people groups specifically prohibited by God. Now, this has been prohibited by God since Moses' time when the law was written. And it's not that God is against other nationalities. These people have been called out in Scripture as being so anti-God as to not going to be turning to him, and their goal is to lead others away from him. Because Scripture, there are people that intermarry. That's the, that's the situation here. Ruth and Boaz. But do you know what made Ruth special? Ruth said, your God will be my God, right? She disavowed everything else and stepped into. These other religions of the people that are around them, they're trying to juggle both, as we've talked about. And so what's happened in this 58 years is that some within the Jewish population have intermarried. But I want to point out that's not the only issue. I hope you have your scripture open. If it is, it's going to be easy for you to turn to chapter 10, Verse 10, let me read chapter 10, verse 10. It says, Then Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have transgressed and have taken pagan wives, adding, church, that's an important word, adding to the guilt of Israel. So I want us to make sure that we understand that God's commands in his word are for our good. Amen? Everything God calls for us to do is for our good. Everything God asks us not to do is for our good. And we need to be obedient to that. Seek, do, teach. That's what Ezra is going to do. But this is not the only issue, this intermarrying. See, Scripture, it would be easy for us to discard this if it weren't for Ezra 10.10 10 that says adding to. That means there are other things. And so, church, while you may not have an intermarriage issue that Ezra is talking about, that, Jew, that the Jews are talking about right now, I'd like you to ask the Spirit of God to show you, God, are there, Lord, would you show me anything in my life right now that's not what you want me to do, where I'm not being faithful, where I'm not being obedient, where I'm not being committed? Israel had a commitment problem, and it was from the top down. So let's look at Ezra's response to hearing this news. Allow me to read verses 3 through 5 of Ezra chapter 9. Hopefully you're with me. We can read this together. It said, so when I heard this thing, I tore my garment and my robe and plucked out some of the hair of my head and beard and sat down astonished. Then everyone who trembled at the words of the God of Israel assembled to me because of the transgression of those who had been carried away captive, and I sat astonished until the evening sacrifice. At the evening sacrifice, I arose from my fasting, and having torn my garment and my robe, I fell on my knees and spread out my hands to the Lord my God. Ezra, hearing the news of the unfaithfulness and the disobedience of the people, not Ezra, but of the people that he is a part of, he grieved. He was astonished. Astonished would be like, given all of these things that God had done, how could we not know this and how could we think this is okay? 
He was astonished. Said that he was still before God. Grieving for a period of time. And then it says that he cried out to God. Now, we're going to talk about what he said here in just a minute. Here's a question that I had to face in a cabin in the hills. Do I grieve my sin? Do I know of any area in my life where I am not obedient to what God's calling me to do? And does it grieve me? And then from that mountain on the hills, I get to write this in ink too. Do you grieve your sin? Do you grieve when you disobey and not do what God calls you to do? So then Ezra prays, we're told. And let me just read this prayer. It's a powerful, powerful prayer. Starting in verse 6. And I said, oh my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated to lift up my face to you, my God, for our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. Since the days of our fathers to this day, we have been very guilty, for, and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hands of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plunder, and to humiliation, as it is this day. And now for a little while, grace has been shown from this, from the Lord our God, to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a peg in this holy place where our God may enlighten our eyes and give us a measure of revival in our bondage. For we were slaves, yet our God did not forsake us in our bondage, but he extended mercy to us in the sight of the kings of Persia, to revive us, to repair the house of our God, to rebuild its ruins, and to give us a wall in Judah and Jerusalem. Oh, now, oh, our God, what shall we say after this? For we have forsaken your commandments, which you commanded by your servants, the prophets, saying, the land which you are entering to possess is an unclean land with the uncleanness of the peoples of the lands, with their abominations, which have filled it from one end to the other with their iniquity. Now, therefore, do not give your daughters as wives for their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons, and never seek their peace or prosperity, that you may be strong and eat the good of the land, and leave it as an inheritance to your children forever. And for after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great guilt, since you, our God, have punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and have given us such deliverance as this, should we again break your commandments, and join in marriage with the people committing these abominations? Would you not be angry with us until you had consumed us so that there would be no more remnant or survivor? O Lord God of Israel, you are righteous, for we are left as a remnant as it is this day. Here we are before you in our guilt, though no one can stand before you because of this. Church, I hope that you heard in these, these statements. Ezra was inclusive. Do you notice it was all our sin, our guilt? It's an us problem. We can learn a lot from this. 
You see, when there is sin in the camp, go back to Exodus and Ai. One man chose to do something sinful against God, and it cost Israel, not just that one man. It cost the lives of over 30 families, men, soldiers. It's not enough to think that your sin doesn't matter individually. It not only matters individually, it matters corporately. Your sin does. Numbers 32, 23 says, beware, your sin will find you out. It's coming out. If you're sitting on it, we just see this. Over 20 years in the SBC, it's coming out. You get to decide how it comes out. You get to decide what you're going to do with it. But he says that we are ashamed and humiliated. Our iniquities are higher than our heads. Our guilt has grown to the heavens. Have you ever felt that way? That your sin when you're in your private moments, that's your sin. You can't even look up to God. That's how Ezra feels because the people have failed. Verse 9 says, but you haven't forgotten us, but we have forsaken you. And it says, you have a right, in verse 14, to consume us. And we stand here before you. Help us. Help us, God, do what we need to do. Now, it's an interesting thing. Because if you go home and you read your homework, like I said, and you read chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10, you're going to read that in chapter 10, they agreed to deal with this issue. And they agreed to have an interview and talk with every single individual who had failed in this way. And if you go and read this, and I did, there are just over a hundred people that are guilty. Now, let's think about this for a second. Over 50,000 people went 58 years ago. You and I both know that 58,000 people is more than 58,000 people now. 5,000 more people have joined and when we read Scripture, we knew that there were Jewish people that never left to begin with. Remember, we talked about they were the lowest of the low. So there's at least 50,000 plus 5,000, 100 people. That's, less, that's like one-tenth of one percent. So right now, you could say that Israel, as it relates to this command of God, is 99.9% good. Church, that's not how God sees it. God sees it as my people have disobeyed me. God is going to be happy when we are all obeying him. And so your individual life matters greatly in the eyes of God. And your individual life matters greatly in the eyes of the church. And your individual life matters greatly in the eyes of the kingdom of God. Church, this is me. Allowing the Spirit of God to show me areas of my life that I'm not living obediently for Him. 
to show me that I don't seek him enough, to show me that I don't do what he tells me, and to show me that perhaps I can do better at helping others come to do this. And God sends Ezra to us in this moment to draw us to him fully, faithfully, and hopefully, finally. Church, I've asked God to show me where I'm not fully, faithfully, and fully committed to him. But from that mountaintop spot, I also got to pray this prayer. Lord, would you show every person that calls FBC home where their lives are not measuring up to what you want for them. And that's hard. And these are the verses that I'm getting ready to read that I wanted to get to. Chapter 10, verses one through four. Now, while Ezra was praying, And while he was confessing, weeping, and bowing down before the house of God, a very large assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him from Israel, for the people wept very bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, spoke up and said to Ezra, We have trespassed against our God and have taken pagan wives from the peoples of the land, yet now... There is hope in Israel in spite of this. Now, therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. You know what they're saying is we still have hope. Do you know what happens? When the sin finally gets broken, when its taboo is off, freedom can come. It can be dealt with, whatever it is. It can be dealt with. And Shechaniah, he recognizes, he said, no, this is not a day of woe. This is a day of hope if we will but do what God calls us to do, and that is walk up to him, confess it before him, change our ways, repent, and live before him. But did you notice what the people did? While Ezra was praying, the people were responding. And then in verse 4, did you notice that? He said, Shechaniah said, let's do something about it, Ezra. Verse 4, he says, this is your responsibility. You know, I tried to run from that verse. I tried to figure out how it didn't mean what I think it means. But what it means is that God has called me to be in this position at this time in our lives as we are together, and he has called me, one, to seek him, to do what he says, and to teach. And he has called me to preach this so that we respond to him my responsibility. If I fail to come at this church body with the hard words of our hidden sin, then I fail as a leader, and I will stand accountable before God. And Mama didn't raise no dum-dum. I realize in the end, 
I don't answer to you. I don't answer to my wife. I don't answer to my kids. In the end, church, I will stand and answer to the Lord. And I have decided that I want to be found right on that day. And one of the ways that I'm right on this day is to preach and challenge you with this word. Because here's what I think needs to happen. Now, I could be wrong, but this is what's on my heart. You see, if you read the rest of Ezra chapter 10, they go through and they have the interviews and they find out who the hundred people are. And I'm reading this and just, if, you're, if you've got Ezra open, just look. Verse 44 of Ezra chapter 10 says, And all these had taken pagan wives, and some of them had wives by whom they had children. And I got there, and I told you I've been reading since Ezra 1, and mine, the way my Bible is, it's down here at the bottom right-hand corner of this. And I'm thinking, well, there's more, so let's turn the page. You know what happens after you read Ezra 10, 44? You run right smack into Nehemiah. Story over. We don't know what they did. You know, Jonah faced the same issue. The Lord said, Jonah, are you really going to be upset? Jonah said, yeah, I think I might. And we leave Jonah sitting up on the hill, not knowing what he does. These people, these hundred plus people, their lives are a wreck. They're making the lives of everybody around them a wreck. The country is a wreck because of all of these things. And we don't know what they do. So here's where I walk out on the limb. Because it's my responsibility. Church, we need to respond. It says that as they prayed that the people came forward. Now, I don't know that we're going to do that. A lot of people aren't comfortable positioning themselves out there as weak or sinful or in need of God. I'm telling you right now, I'm coming forward. Now, I'm not much into altar calls because that's God's working in your life, but God is calling for one right here. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If it is the desire of your heart to allow God to have his way fully in your life, if you are willing to allow him to uncover everything, if you're willing to not just be in the word, but do the word and help others come to know this great God that we serve, if that is the desire of your heart, then during this time of invitation, I'm going to ask you to do one of a couple of things. One is, join me down here. Or two is, stand where you are. But I don't want you to join the Me Too revolution. I need you to understand that you're not doing anything before Jeff, nor your neighbor. That I'm asking you to do what Ezra is asking the people to do, and that is to come before God. So church, I'm going to ask you, I'm putting us in a tough spot. But I've battled this all week, and it's my responsibility, and sometimes responsibility causes us to do hard things. 
Now, I'm not going to think plus or minus of you if you come because it's between you and God. Or if you stand. Or if you go, I'm not standing or coming. I'm just giving you the opportunity right now. We have heard the truth of God's word. I believe that it represents us more than we care to admit. And that God wants to do something great. And there is hope right now if we turn to him. Amen? So I'm going to pray for us, and we're not going to stand to sing. But you can come join me at the front, and we'll pray at the end. Or you can stand, and we'll pray at the end. Or you can remain seated where you are. But during this time of uh, commitment, I pray that's what it is. It's the Spirit of God that calls those people to move forward. And unless the Spirit of God is moving you, I don't want you to move. But if the Spirit of God is moving you, please don't stay, but move. Let's pray, and then we'll begin.